the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, invested in more. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. First and foremost, let's get some market numbers in. Um, we have the S P 500 down seven, the Dow down 98, Nasdaq down four. Taking a look at some of the top stories of the day, there's nothing that really jumps out as ooh, that's a big top story of the day. When we take a look at the market numbers, we're down. But keep in mind, we had a up 4% month of May. So we're kind of digesting that. Imagine eating a 18-ounce steak. It's going to take a little while to get that broken down and pushed out your body. It's kind of the same thought. The Dow 17,000 will happen. The S&P 500 2,000 will happen. I predict both will happen this year. I don't think I'm going out too far on the limb because we see improving jobs. We still see a low cost of money. I am concerned about the markets when we move into a higher interest rate environment. We're not there yet. Apple's up again. It's had a pretty nice little week since uh, splitting their shares. Just up five cents, but sitting at ninety-four dollars and twenty-nine cents. Taking a look at the markets, some of the other big stories out there. Um, snap it, Snaptics, Snaptics, speaking with Mick, um, is a mover today. I would say it's a mover and a shaker up 22%. It agreed to acquire Renesis for about $475 million in a deal expected to close in the fourth quarter. Renesis is the company, only company that supplies display chips for Apple's iPhone. Synaptics also boosted its fiscal fourth quarter revenue guidance, now expecting $300 million um, to $310 million. That's good news for Apple because they do the touch screens. Other winners of the day include Ultra Salon and Fragrance. They reported lovely smelling first quarter earnings. They beat expectations, and they do things like shampoos. Rambus in the news today. They said they're developing technology to improve users' experience of electronics. They lifted guidance for second quarter revenue. The company expects 
sales to come in between 75 and 77 million, higher than the initial forecasts. GameStop is a winner today. They're likely benefiting from E3 2014 that's going on. E3 is a big video game conference where the kids get together and play video games. Like I went and saw Pac-Man eat Pac-Woman. <laughs> so E3's out there going on. And Sony PlayStation seems to be like the big winner. But as far as stocks go, game stocks. And why is Sony the big winner? Because Microsoft is cutting prices with Xbox One. Uh-oh. One year in the books, and uh, <clears throat> the lead the lead is going to Sony. Out of the gate. Or out of the gate. Doesn't mean coming down the stretch it won't be Seattle Slough against Sony against Microsoft. It's Microsoft by a nose. Um, man, poor guy. The poor guy who owned the horse. How embarrassing was that? To be at Belmont and to lose your mind because it looked like he was pretty drunk. <laughs> So he was all bitter that horses that don't race all year long get to jump into the Belmont at the last second, and his horse has been racing all year long is all tired. Aww. He won two out of three. That's pretty impressive. California Chrome. H&R Block, the tax services company, said profit jumped $910 million. Revenues rose 16% to $2.5 billion, in part because of a Late start to tax season, which shifted revenue into the company's first quarter. Boeing loser today. Deutsche Lufthansa reduced its 2014 guidance for operating profit. Emirates Airlines canceled an order for 70 jets from Airbus, dragging the U.S. listed shares of Airbus lower. So Boeing and Airbus both losers today. If you've ever looked at the projections for flights in the next 10, 20 years, it's crazy. And if you ever look at Boeing's backlog, it's insanity. Delta. Delta, Delta, Delta. Worst loser the S&P 500 down 4% today. Analysts lowered their price target on it. Eh. Precision cast parts in the news today. Company subsidiary Titanium Metals recently hit with a $13.7 million fine for violating toxic substance story. control act. Tyson Foods, big chicken maker. And poor's rating services because the expected increase in debt resulting from its ex- acquisition of Hilshire brands. Eh, eh. Let's talk about some other Thanks. stories that are out there today. Basically, when you have Wall Street, you've got you know day by day things and how they change. Um, we're kind of in the middle of summer, but maybe it's kind of the start of summer for some people. I don't know if we all agree on when it starts or finishes, but we got the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 125 today on July 14th. We've got the NASDAQ up 22. We've got the SP 500 up 10. Small caps are underperforming, which is eh, not the best angle per se, but you know we're working with it. Um, so we're kind of moving forward, right? It's a market that, again, is driven by earnings season. And this week we get, like, for instance, Yahoo. And Yahoo is a good one to, you know, pick on or start with in large part because their story is what are they going to do when they lose the Alibaba IPO? What are they going to do with that cash? Are they going to cash it in? Are they going to ride the shares higher? What are they going to do? We'll learn a little bit more this week. And again, 
that's the beauty, in my opinion, of Wall Street, is every 90 days you kind of get the stories updated. So Samsung versus Apple. You know, this week we'll learn a little bit more on Apple. Um, until yesterday, Samsung's worst nightmare was coming true. Sales were down 10% in large part because cheap Chinese Android knockoffs are catalyzing the low end of Samsung's mobile phones. Apple sales are accelerating while Samsung's are faltering. Samsung's one advantage over Apple, the fact that it offers two large screen phones in the high end market where Apple has none, is about to be wiped out by Apple's new um, offerings. The iPhone 6 phablet is expected in September. Some customers are likely holding off on buying large screen phones as they wait to see you know, what Apple will unveil at its fall launch. So in short, Apple had Samsung exactly where it wanted, losing sales, poised to lose share. Consumers hesitant about buying a new Samsung until they see what the iPhone 6 looks like. Then last night, we learned that Apple may not, after all, have a 5.5-inch version of the iPhone 6 ready to go. The 4.7-inch version is still coming, but the supersized iPhone looks like it's on hold. Um, Apple was poised to deliver a killing blow to Samsung, but it now seems Samsung has got a little bit of a reprieve. So a 4.7-inch iPhone 6 is only a tad larger than the iPhone 5S. It's significantly smaller than 5S and the Note 3. So basically the best news possible for Samsung could have hoped for. The iPhone 6 iFablet, it may not arrive until next year, according to analyst Mike Chi Koo, who explains why for months we've been seeing leaked iPhone 6 parts. Manufacturer has seen some issues with touch sensitivity. Manufacturers having issues with touch sensitivity near the edge of the phone. A big event coming up this weekend in Los Gatos. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, Citigroup reached a $7 billion mortgage bond settlement. That sounds like a lot, right? Packaging up loans, reselling them. $7 billion, the government says, you're bad, you're bad. Stock moves up. To me, that's a buy signal. When stocks move up on bad news, it's a buy signal. And maybe it's kind of been an underperformer for two years, in large part because of the spread on the bonds, yes, no doubt about it, and the treasuries. But also maybe because people are a little fearful of, you know, will this company get out of hot water? And how much will it cost them? Demon known versus demon unknown. So I did a quick little story on Apple earlier. Done a quick little story on Citigroup. Uh, Apple up today. 
even though there appears to be maybe no big iPhone 6. But again, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, so what a party would have, right? So taking a look at the market numbers today, we got the SP 500 up 10, the Dow up 125, the Nasdaq up on 22. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. Mr. Burton, got a couple emails to get through. Let's do it. This is a big one, so let's see if we can't make this. Got a book? Huh? Well, this is, it's kind of long, and it's got some fancy words in it. Isn't it, and it comes from us, to us from Eddie, isn't it true that RMD is calculated based on the value of your portfolio at the end of December of the year before you turn 70 and a half, regardless whether you have been withdrawing funds for years? RMD is required minimum distribution? Yeah, required minimum towards, distribution. Tied towards your retirement accounts. Okay. Yep. Yeah, so the way it works is once you turn 70 and a half, April 1st of the year following 70 and a half, it's, it's, you know, every time I say these things, it's like, who made up the rule of 70 and a half? Why not just 71? Why do you have to calculate what your 70 and a half birthday is and then figure out, oh, by April 1st one year, but if you, do, if you wait till the following year, you have to take two that year. I, and I think I can tell you why. It's because when you turn 70 and a half, you're forced to pull money out of your IRAs at 401ks. It's okay. a certain formula that you use to do that. And let's say that amount's $15,000. Okay. If you forget to do it, it's a 50% penalty on that amount. So $7,500 penalty, plus you still have to pull the money out and pay the taxes on top of that. Sure. Um, you know, as if figuring out what Medicare supplement plan and prescription drug plan you want when you retire, is it hard enough? Then you've got to deal with taxes. On Are those hard? Oh, it's a full-time job. I tell you what, to to go in and figure out once you turn 65 and pick the right supplement plan. You know, a lot of people that are on Kaiser just stay on Kaiser. I, I tend to uh, find that older people tend to be fairly happy with Kaiser. Okay. Um, I think younger people in terms of sports medicine and stuff like that, you know, fixing the knees and doing all that. I'm not too big of a fan of it, but I'd probably go Kaiser when I'm older. Why's that? It's just everything's kind of in one place, and okay. a lot of clients that I've had have been happy with it. Um, and my own mom, same thing. Okay. So she's happy with it. Anyways, getting back to the 70 and a half issue. Um, yeah, what happens is each year you have to look at the 1231 value of all of your IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, and every all of it. Now, if everything's in IRAs, it's easy because you could add up everything, figure out what the formula is. It's like 20, it's 127.6 of the account or something like that in the first year. Um, and then you can say, okay, I've got all my IRAs. There's three or four different IRAs. Figure out what the number is, and you can take a withdrawal out of one IRA. Maybe your lowest performing IRA, maybe the best performing IRA that you're peeling off the top. Taking some of that growth, spending the money. Um, if you have 401ks and 403bs, you've got to take one out of every single one of them. And so people make that mistake a lot, thinking that, oh, I've got a 401k and IRA, I'll just take the RMD, the required minimum distribution out of my IRA. Nope. That's why it doesn't really make any sense to keep money in a 401k after you retire. Roll it over, consolidate it, so you don't make those mistakes. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what we talk about all, all the time is fighting the IRA tax trap. So when you retire, let's say it's 62, you retire at 62, 65, well, one of the first places I like to look is the IRA. If I can take money out of the IRA... And a married couple filing jointly can have about 80 grand of income plus their itemized deductions and still be at a 15% federal bracket. So I look to the IRA first to make sure I'm maxing out that 15% bracket. And if you need the money, take the money out and spend it. If you don't need the money, take the money and convert it to a Roth so that you're whittling down your IRA 
which means you're moving money from a taxable account, paying taxes on it now, moving it into an account that grows tax-free for the rest of your life and your kids' lives. And, uh, and then that way, when you turn 70 and a half, you're not forced to take out so much taxable income. You're reducing the required minimum distributions because you're taking the money out earlier. And it levels out your taxes throughout your retirement rather than, than having very little taxes until you're 70 and then super high taxes. Anything else that we need to know about RMDs? Is, um, there, is there a good calculator online? Does your yeah, IRS.gov, publication 590, it has a, the tables there. Okay. And then um, there's you know, all sorts of issues. So if people, you have an account with like a Fidelity or Vanguard, mm-hmm. will they step up and help you come up with a number or no, 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 that's advice? Yeah, yeah, typically, yeah, typically they're not going to – what they do is they send you the letter to remind you okay. that you're supposed to do it. But Fidelity doesn't know that you have an IRA at Vanguard and an IRA at T. Rowe Price or something like that. So they don't – they won't – they'll give you all the disclaimers in the world before they'll give you tax advice. So. It's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes looks like an awesome movie for men. I don't know if that's sexist or anything wrong with that statement. Just, it just seems like a boy film, you know? Not a lot of romance. Cliché. But it led at the box office this weekend. $73 million in sales. Stronger than its predecessor. It looks awesome. I'm not big into, like, it just, the apes look so cool. Talking apes. You, you are good. Like, I dig it. That's 20th Century Fox, and you're talking about being tied to a, it's a publicly traded company, Fox, right? Warner Brothers being tied towards Time Warner. Tammy came in. It's pulled in $57 million. It's not bad for what it was made, but I think, you know, in this blockbuster day and age, Transformers Age of Extinction. Spoiler alert. Transformers win in the end of the movie. So that's Paramount. You know, uh, again, tied towards another publicly traded company. 22 Jump Street's pulled in $172 million. Um, How to Train Your Dragons pulled in 152 Internationally, it's a big hit as well. Long story short. Um, I don't know. Movies are product. I want you to look at everything as product. Hey, big seminar coming up. Thursday in Los Gatos. This is your last chance really to sign up for it. I'm going to do a blast email and it will fill up this week. So you can sign up at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Big event tied towards uh, income and retirement. I'm going to be going over dividend stocks that I own and why. How to look for dividend stocks. The FP Chad Burton is going to go over setting up an income portfolio this weekend in Los Gatos. Or this Thursday in Los Gatos, 639, July 17. Hunger. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Thanks for listening to the show. I truly, truly mean that. I pledge that if you listen to the show, I'll try to dig up ideas that will help you. Um, 
I'll do my best. Whatever that means, whether it means, you know, telling you things like networking is important. It's probably my biggest regret from my 20s is that I didn't network enough. And now networking is so easy with LinkedIn. But be careful who you accept on LinkedIn. Make sure that you want them as potential network relationships. Make sure that there's something there. Otherwise, you may be sifting through a lot of data that just ultimately wastes your time. Um, there's some new ideas that are out there in the world of investing that I, I like. And let me give you one of them. Um, a friend, um, a neighbor came up to me recently and said, you know, we're collecting money, you know, building a small retirement gift for a, you know, a longtime neighbor um, who was pretty popular, who I didn't really know terribly well. Said everyone's chipping in, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. I'm like, what? That seems like a little high. Um, and you're like, you know, sometimes you're like, well, I know that person really well, so I'm going to chip in. And I, I don't know that person really well, so I'm not going to chip in. Now, that can get you like a, a name, like of a cheapskate. Or it can get you a name of, you know, um, like you don't like the workers out there. I think it's ethically sound to say, like, if you don't know someone, that you stay in line with that. People have, you know, different means, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 200 bucks. It's not free. It's not chicken feed, so they, as they say. Um, and, like, if you're new to this, the road, should you throw in, you know, I don't know. I like the idea of community projects and community, you know, services. I think there will come a day and age where, you know, my community, and I might not live for this, but they all say, you know, hey, let's get a, a solar generator and we'll put it on Bob's property and, you know, we'll all tap into it. I totally see that happening. I see new developments as that should be the standard norm being built now for planned communities. I was near a thousand oaks uh, this weekend, and one of the things that I, I, you know, anytime I'm near a community, I kind of read about a community. And it's like one of the only planned communities in the world, in the United States, that has started and finished with the whole planning angle. That's where, like, Wayne Gretzky lives. That's where Tiger Woods has a home, and it's all, you know, they've kept traffic to a minimum. You know, they've planned it really well. If they could have planned some solar issues so that all the residents benefit, totally makes sense. I think you're going to see venture capital going that way. I don't see any way around that. Speaking of which, talking a little real estate, let's talk a little real estate with Tony Mendez. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. I was listening to a recent show of yours, Tony, and the topic came up about buying rentals, and it was a 1031 expert, and it was kind of confusing about you should always buy rentals and sometimes live in them and then buy rentals again. Tell me a little bit about who it was, what you were talking about. Uh, Bay Area Expert, 1031 Exchange uh, Services, uh, James Caius. Uh, you can always go to my website, bayarealonesource.com, and find that information out. But 1031 Exchanges are, are a tool that investors can use to move profits or their, their taxable profits from one property to another without uh, assuming those taxes. Uh, and it's basically an investment to investment. And it, it, it's not just real estate. It's all other kinds of investments as well. But one of the tools that investors will use, for example, we, the example that we used in um, for the show was a, a lady had two properties here in San Jose, okay. and she wanted to buy a property in Hawaii. So she was going to do 1031 exchange from those two properties, identify the property within 45 days in Hawaii, buy it within 80, 180 days, and move the m- money over to that property. 
Then she, what she wanted to know is how soon could she move into that property without, as a primary residence? Well, the answer is basically one to two years. It's uh, kind of what they call the gray area of this, this whole transaction. But once she moves into the property, she will not pay taxes on that property. So what it is is a tool, until she sells it or dies, um, it's a tool that, that investors use to basically have other people pay your mortgage, build equity, and then you can transfer those taxable assets to another investment property and then move into it and never pay taxes on it. Keep in mind, that's a scenario that sounds great. Yeah. It doesn't always go that well. It doesn't. And sometimes you'll get a rental and you don't realize, like, whoops, it's a little too far from jobs. I could afford it. I'm going to do it. And then you're like, you learn that it's the jobs that you need to get tenants inside to pay that mortgage. To In that case, maybe 1031 exchange over to a, another more desirable area with well, higher rents. Yeah. So and, and, and you don't pay the taxes on the sale and then you move it. You basically are deferring them. And there may not be taxes on the sale to make. To make. Like, again... That's the problem with real estate conversations is a lot of times the experts that are telling you how great of an idea it is, they're financially compensated, and the information comes out best-case scenarios. Like, I, I throw I mean, I'm a financial expert, no, no, and no, I no, say I it backs out your 401k. I get what you're saying. Yeah. I get what you're saying. It's not for everybody, and it doesn't work in a, every single time, but it is a tool that, that investors can use to do that type of – let's say, for example, Rob, that you, you have a property. I hate it you, when you do that. Say, for example, you just went into salesperson mode. But go ahead, finish your thoughts. Let's say you have 10 properties, okay. and the first property you bought is no longer, and maybe the first two properties you bought are no longer desirable, and they're not getting the rents, but you have some equity in it. Maybe you've even paid them off. You could combine those two, those two assets, the profit from those properties, and move it into a more desirable property that has higher rents so it, it, in, without paying the taxes. So, it's a, like I said, it's a tool that can be used, and it's available for investors. Okay. I mean, it's essentially like that. And 1031 is just a code in the IRS. Starker Exchange, whatever you want to call it. Starker Exchange is another word for it? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. So it's just financial code for the IRS tax code Mm -hmm. that allows you to move from property, uh, move from rental. No, no, what's the word? I'm looking for investment property to investment property. Right. Like asset to like asset. And that's the kicker phrase. And why would you want to work with an expert in this area? Like, why not just... Do it well, the law, the law requires that you have an escrow company help you do the transaction. Okay. They're the ones who are actually monitored by the Fed or regulated uh, to make sure that you're following the rules about identifying a property in a certain period of time and, selling the pro- uh, and then buying the new property and having funds moved from escrow to that property. So my rental property in North Carolina, if I ever get a hair up my hiney and decide that I want it closer to me, mm-hmm. I could do a 1031 from that one that I've had for 10 plus years, mm-hmm. move it to like maybe Stanford, because mm-hmm. um, I have it in a college town. It doesn't have to be a college town. It could be a variety of like consequences. Yeah. So, um, but, and I would hire an expert to help me technically file. Well, you still need a realtor to sell your house, a realtor to buy your house, but in between is you're going to have an, a 1031 exchange company. Really? Yes. I'm surprised by that. Like, I, I almost want to be able to do that on my own. You'd think so. Yeah, you would, right? Yeah. Here in California, you use escrow companies to buy your house and sell your house and do refinances. It's the same type of thing. So this man is a little bit more about me on the fine details of real estate. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's Tony Mendez. does a show here on KDOW, AM 1220. Find him at KDOW.biz or his website, BayAreaLoanSource.com. I don't usually ask for your help as listeners, but I would be interested in some thoughts on this one. And first and foremost, let me plug 
big Thursday night event in Los Gatos. Good chance to meet me. 6.30 to 9, CFP Chad Burton, state planning attorney Michelle Lerman. We're going to be going over the subtleties of income and retirement and some of the traps that are, are out there. You don't really have time to make mistakes, and I think that's one of the biggest things that I see people do is that, you know, I think it's easy. It's not easy, but it's it's not difficult to accumulate wealth. It's difficult to distribute it efficiently and not to blow it and make mistakes. Just my opinion, and again, I'm not trying to scare you. Um, speaking of, here's what I want, and you can sign up for that event, Los Gatos, Toll House Hotel. It's made out of cookies. You can sign up for it at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Limited seats are available. So AbbVie is a company that a lot of people don't know about. It's a U.S. drug company. They're close to clinching a deal to buy Dublin Bay Shire. And here's where I kind of want your opinion. This is one of those inversion plays where our corporate tax code's brutal. We know, like, oil companies pay, you know, kind of a penalty tax because they're dealing with, you know, fuel. And they pay more in taxes than you think they do of their profits. We know, like, some drug companies, you know, we know that there's a lot of shady accounting going on, or as aggressive as possible. Now it's just flat out, we're leaving the United States. Tax code is, it's, it's easier to do business in Ireland than it is to do business in the United States. So we're just leaving. And this is a big problem. Congress should be addressing it instead of letting these great American companies leave. They should be addressing it and changing the tax code to make it more competitive, in my opinion. Now, again, that's the Wall Street guy speaking. Now, you're the social guy, and you can go, screw that. It's fine. We have different opinions, and I still like you. So if Abby buys Shire, it's going to be a $53 billion deal. It's going to be the largest so-called inversion deal in which a U.S. company looks for a lower corporate tax rate and just jumps, leaves. So at almost $54 billion, completed acquisition would be a contender for the year's biggest merger alongside Valiant Pharmaceuticals. Um, hostile takeover bid for Botox maker allergen. It's, again, a way of changing your taxes. And, like, I could tell you, like, hey, if you move from California, if you move from California to Nevada, and you just drive over the border, and you're able to save 20% on taxes, you wouldn't consider that, like, totally illegal, or you wouldn't consider that bad or wrong, or, like, if you live in Washington and work in Oregon, and one has sales tax and one has no income tax, no sales tax and one has no income tax, people take advantage of taxes, and corporations do too. What's your opinion? Send me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. Hey, Nick Cannon here. So, or call to and the ad council. What if there was a place you could go? to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeartRadio Station. Hey, everybody. It's me, Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. 
Home Depot is going to start selling 3D printers in stores. That tells you that it's starting to become a little bit more mainstream. I'm a dude. I go to Home Depot. I've got hammers. I've got nails. I've got, like, um, wrenches. I can build things. So I go to Home Depot on occasion or Lowe's or the other place that I can't come up with a name because I never go there. But Home Depot, the world's largest home improvement retail chain, said they're going to start selling 3D printers today in stores for the first time. Pushing deeper into a market that, you know, once was the domain of just engineers and hobbyists. Like, what? So Home Depot is going to sell MakerBot. MakerBot 3D printers, which acquired by Stratasys last year. So Stratasys is this big win for ticker symbol SSYS, 12 locations as part of a pilot project. It's a pilot for us to test a potential disruptive technology. So says Home Depot's Joe Downey. The move builds on Home Depot's decision to offer MakerBot printers on its website three months ago. Not going to be a major source of new revenue, but, you know, one of the big items that they're selling right now is Nest, the, you know, electronic or the wireless uh, thermostat. I kind of want one. MakerBot's partnership with Home Depot is a step into the mainstream. So they're betting that they'll appeal to forward-thinking contractors and do-it-yourselfers. Customers can use printers to create, you know, parts and supplies that might be handy for repairs, such as cup holders, U-clips, and pipe stakes. As the home improvement field faces increased competition from specialist retailers and e-commerce, new tech will be very important for how you differentiate yourself. So we have an aging population which will decrease the number of homeowners in the next 10 years, which means home prices should come down. Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Black saying something very controversial. So the industry in contending is ultimately working with slowing growth in coming years. Sales will increase 1.5% annually through 2019, compared with a 2.6% raise in the last five years. As our population ages, it's going to decrease the number of homeowners. So we're either going to have to knock homes down, not rebuild them after tornadoes, or maybe lower our price because supply will go up. Home Depot is the home repair market leader. $578 billion, I'm sorry, $78 billion a year in revenue last year. Lowe's had $53 billion. So it's not going to move the needle for Home Depot, but it could sure as damn hell move the needle for uh, Stratasys. So the 3D industry has a problem, though. A lot of guys who work on homes, I'm not going to say they're not college-educated because I'm not trying to like start a controversy here. Um, 2014, 28% less controversy. So um, that's the problem. You know, you're going to be dealing with people who are you know, considered blue-collars when the technology is kind of white-collar engineer. But that doesn't mean that people won't latch on to it, because I've seen it. Consumer market for 3D printing will reach $600 million in 2017, up from $70 million last year. My dentist, my dentist, great Zachary Held in San Carlos, California, he uses like a 3D printer for making like teeth and stuff. He showed it to me one day, and it's awesome. It's an awesome project. Instead of like outsourcing to a lab, he does it himself. Uh, not not everything, I, I, and I'm not speaking for his business. But faster turnaround, similar quality, if not better. Um, better prices because he doesn't have to you know, pay someone's markup. So topic change. And this could be one of the apocalypse of the uh, 
the one of the horsemen of the apocalypse. Pizza Hut's partnering with Hirsch to launch a dessert menu. It's a unique chocolate chip cookie, an eight-inch cookie. Okay, go figure that one out. That's a damn big cookie. 165 chocolate chips per treat. Basically, it should be called the we're going to put you in the hospital cookie. You're going to have diabetes before you're done with this. So it's a pizza-sized chocolate chip cookie. It's cut into eight slices. The pizza giant officially has christened the new product. The ultimate Hershey's chocolate chip cookie. It's the pizza cookie. Remember that it's pizza t- look and taco taste and pizza. It's pizza look taco taste and pizza. It's a pizza look and taco taste and pizza. Blah, 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 from there. Don't you love how, like, any basically Mexican jingle, which is cliche to the max, can become an American commercial for any sort of product that we want to sell that has any sort of Spanish flair to it? Some millennials tell us what they want. That's what this is all about. The pizza industry is a $39 billion industry. They like to cap off a great pizza with a great dessert, so says millennials. Customers who bought buy it with pizza get it for four ninety nine. Solo it's five ninety nine. Pizza chains have been pushing the desserts. Cinnamon sticks at Domino's. Pizza shaped apple pies at Papa John's. Seventy percent of customers sold Pizza Hut they want some sort of dessert after pizza. Like who? Who can eat all that food? Who can eat all that food? I wonder what the cows never get wet. Hmm. It seems like they should. You know, if a cow got wet, would it shrink? Because my leather suitcase did. What if cows got rained on? They'd all shrink down to baby cows, little miniature cows. Okay, the crowd's not working with me on that one. I could have used a rim shot. I could have used another. That's gold, Jerry. But no, no, the crowd has turned. Um, big event coming up. A lot of smart ideas going to be bantered around, believe it or not. Uh, Ten Pillars of Retirement Income Planning, Toll House Hotel, Thursday evening, 6.30 to 9. CFP Chad Burton and myself will be there. You can listen to Chad's show later today from 1 to 2 here on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm going to talk about positioning yourself for income and retirement, dividend paying stocks, dividend achievers, much, much more. We'll take a break here. Be right back. Purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice or as a substitute. You better text me back. I'm waiting outside your house. Opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily insightful, informative, irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Going on things financial. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. 
I tend to try to break up the hours, one to be a little bit more business and one to be a little more theory and strategy. It doesn't always work that way. But with that said, you know, uh, I'll talk about anything to try to give you perspective. I find that, I'm not going to say that's my gift to you, but let's maybe say that it is, right? With Derek Jeter's final season, uh, you know, we've seen it recently with Mariano Rivera where, you know, he's played his whole life, his whole career with one team and you get that kind of farewell tour. And Nike's a big play. And they sell a lot of goods. And one of their, you know, stars, if you think about it, you know, the opposite of movie stars, not the opposite of movie stars, but athletic stars that we idolize and cherish and go, ooh, you can run faster than me. I'm going to applaud you for that. Ooh, you can do this better than me. I'm going to applaud you for that. It seems a little silly, but... Like, I want to see the engineer applauded one day for coding, because that would make my day. Um, where does this story go? So Jeter's retired, and I want you to kind of look at him as product. You know, the Yankees make money off his jersey. There's no doubt about it. They probably make as much off his jersey as they do, you know, with his performance on the field. So Nike is a company that I want you to always consider, because they're not going away. There's two stories tied towards Nike that I think make a lot of sense. Let's start with the Derek Jeter one. Um, they just released a commercial, and you can go to YouTube and Google a, you know Nike releases Derek Jeter tribute. It's got a lot of people in it. Um, the Jordan brand, which is a Nike subsidiary that has been Jeter's long-term sponsor, released a star-studded commercial called Respect, or R2ESCT. Features baseball fans of every variety tipping their hat to the Yankee captain, the five-time World Series champion. It's got Tiger Woods. It's got firefighters. It's got a, you know, uh, San Diego Padre. It's pretty great, no matter how much you hate the Yankees. Um, and I get it. People hate the Yankees. And again, that tells you career. Like, what is he, 40-something? So he worked for 20 years, and now he's going to work from 40, he's going to live from 40 to 100? That tells you, like, you know, there's an investment lesson here. There's, you know, you work from 20 to 60. I use this example as uh, simple math, and you could use your math. Let's say you make $60,000 a year. For 10 years, that's 600000 For 20 years, that's $1.2 million before taxes. Over 40 years, it's $2.4 million, right? Before taxes. So let's go ahead and start factoring in some of the taxes. 10%, you know, sales tax, depending on what state you live in. I live in a high sales income tax. That takes $240,000 right off the table. So $2.4 million becomes, you know, 2.1. Then you get state taxes of, you know, 10, 15, 20%. You get federal taxes, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35%. And you could quickly see, you know, another 40% disappearing from that $2 million. That's a lot of money. So what's it leave you with? Not a lot. You're down to about $1.2 million. Got to pay for your health care and retirement. That ain't cheap. You get some Social Security, which helps, quote-unquote, offset it. But 
not perfectly. So that's one Nike story, that there's an investment lesson. Let's do another Nike story, because I think the second Nike story is almost as good as the first, as far as lessons go. And again, it's tied towards sports. And again, you kind of have to buy into this notion that there's lessons to be had. So Nike has said they're passing on sponsoring Manchester United. 2014 Brazil World Cup, very exciting, right? Unless you were Brazil. Manchester United secured the most lucrative kit deal in football. So they announced that Adidas has agreed to pay $1.3 billion over 10 years. So the World Cup was exciting, and they say that in the United States it probably didn't help the MLS because the quality of plays just isn't as good as the English Premier League or the Spanish League or the Italian League or the German League. So we've got to get more money over here to get the better players over here. That's what it comes down to. And we don't really want to go all in until we kind of figure out if there's a way to pull that off. So Manchester United basically got the Adidas deal. Nike backed out. They had the right to match. $128 million a year. Wow. Nike decided that, you know, that cost of its existing 13-year equipment supply contract was not good value for the company. Is this the first step towards sports in the United States and maybe we start going backwards? You know, maybe the cost of sports have gotten out of control. When Nike's not willing to up the ante, that's a good sign for you and me. I love going to a baseball game. I hate the financial reality after I go to a baseball game. So I like seeing this story. I don't get it. Like, I'll watch a Giants game, and I'll see people that I know I'm making more money than, and they're spending money. They're in good seats. When I first started my business, um, one of my business partners, I decided to like partner with an older guy. Um, what was this, 17, 18 years ago? So he was like 60, and I was like, I don't know, 23-ish. And I figured it was good to put some old next to young and bright. Uh, I was a little bit of that. But the point being is, he would give me like Washington Redskins tickets. And I was struggling as starting a business. So I'd take those Washington Redskins tickets and I'd go to RFK Stadium and John Kent Cook Stadium or whatever it was. And I'd sell those puppies right there. And I would walk across to a bar and watch the game and you know, pocket the difference. Ethical? No, 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 no. Smart? Yeah, absolutely. So I just think sports have gotten out of, out of the average person's wheelhouse for affordability. And I, what's sad is some people don't realize that, and their credit card debt's awful. So $128 million. The eagerness of Adidas to make United... And Manchester United's on the downside. They're not on the upside. This could you know, burn them. Adidas currently pays $50 million a season to Chelsea and Real Madrid. Manchester United could make far more from the German sportswear company, from the headline. They say that's a minimum guarantee. So Nike has one more season as the kit maker, revealing uh, jerseys on last week that were just horrific. Big old Chevy logo on it, where Chevy paid $559 million. Keep in mind, Adidas just paid $1.3 billion over 10 years. 
So Chevy paying $559 million for seven years, that only seems like a bargain because their logo is obnoxious. But buying shoes is a lot different than buying a car. Adidas last held the United contract for Manchester between 1980 and 1992. Um, just before the club ended at 26-year wait for a title and ushering it just dominant. So maybe Adidas is just bad timing. Hey, big event coming up. You can sign up for it at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. AM 1220 KDOW. The bottom line for boomers. With dollars into an account with a 5%. Hey, this is Curtis Stone. Now I've cooked the stock. Start the week higher from Bloomberg World Headquarters. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. What story do I love more? A guy raised more than $3 million on Kickstarter by reinventing the cooler. I know, right? Is it possible? Oh, it's possible. Pulled in $3 million. Um, what's it all about? Well, it's aesthetically pleasing to start. You get cold beverages on the inside. Lovely. But it's got an ice-crushing blender, storage for plates and a knife, bottle opener, USB charger for your electronics, Bluetooth speaker to listen to some tunes, and even an LED light so you can fish out a drink in the dark. <laughs> I love it! Is that not the best, like, American invention in a while? Okay, okay, okay. I like that story. Here's another story that I like very much, so. 21-year-old hit and killed by New York City subway while using her iPad. I feel sad the person died, for sure. But that's where we are. We are such a nation of iPad, iPod, iPhone, look down. Like, if you go into a restaurant, some couples don't even talk to each other at this point. Thank God, I don't have to talk to my wife. I've got my phone. And she's like going, thank God I don't have to talk to him. i got my iPad. So she was exhausted. Her boyfriend says that was the problem, that she lost her balance and not her iPad. But you kind of see why like, you want to invest in these ideas and these trends because... I think they're very real. Let's talk a little financial seminar with CFP Chad Burton. Let's welcome in CFP Chad Burton. Mr. Burton, how are you today? Excellent. Let's talk a little, uh, we do wealth preservation retirement planning seminars. You can find out more about one coming up shortly at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. One of the things you have to worry about in retirement is asset allocation. There's a phrase that I use that asset allocation is more important than timing the market. And people, you know, continually want to time the market. But... Asset allocation retirement falls in your court. Yeah, asset allocation, but it's also asset location. So the different asset classes that are out there, which types of accounts do you hold them in between your your cash accounts, your taxable accounts, your IRA, your Roth? Um, where do you hold them? I mean, the first thing that you got to look at is is uh, an overall strategy that you need in retirement, which is how are you going to draw and where, what accounts are you going to draw from first? A lot of people make the mistakes of drawing from just their cash first and then holding off on their IRAs, and then they find themselves at age 70 and a half in a really high tax bracket. So um, you take the approach that, as I've talked about on your show many times, you need three years of portfolio draws in cash, right? That's typically in your taxable account. You then need at least about 20% of your portfolio in, in most retirees' cases, if they're kind of the general retired person scenario. You want about 20% of your portfolio in dividend-paying stocks, 
but they are stocks that have a history of increasing their dividend on an annual basis, so you have constant income regardless of what the share price is doing, and an income that increases even when the markets are down. Um, then you need about 20 to 30 percent of your portfolio in what you try to do is it's really good, and a lot of financial advisors, a lot of publications agree that you should try to get about 20 to 30 percent of your retired retiree income needs, Rob, from a form of guaranteed lifetime income. For example, Social Security is a form of guaranteed lifetime income. A pension you can't outlive is a form of guaranteed lifetime income. Well, people can also do this on their own and create that with um, certain products out there, and I hate loaded variable annuities why but there are certain because the fees are so high okay they, they have these guarantees but the internal fees are like three and a half percent uh you, you buy them you can't get out of them for seven to ten years somebody gets a like, huge commission involved and they don't help you manage it there are some no load versions of this where you can be in a balanced portfolio and no matter what the market does you'll get five to six percent income for life it's not a principal guarantee it's a lifetime guaranteed income and you need that longevity guarantee in your life. So what if you do outlive that 86 number that is the average age of death now? So you want to get 20 to 30% of that. So what I typically do is have about 20% of a portfolio in a, a, a no-load product. So because if, if bonds ever go to a point where they're attractive again, I might get out of those products. I might not recommend them anymore. But right now they're an okay bond alternative. Um, and then the rest of the portfolio is a very conservative um, ETF no-load fund portfolio that you'd want to have. And so in your taxable accounts, you would want more of the large-cap, mid-cap, and tax-free bonds. And then in your retirement accounts, that's where you would have more of the, the, the types of dividend-paying stuff that don't qualify for that 15% dividend, dividend tax. Um, so some you know things like national limit partnerships and oil and gas deals, um, other stocks that don't qualify for that 15% dividend tax. So you need that overall kind of pieces of your overall portfolio. You need the cash that you're going to draw from. You need the pieces of your portfolio that are going to feed it. But also pay attention to where you hold the asset classes. If it's an income-producing vehicle and you don't need the income yet, hold it in either an IRA or a Roth. If it's more of a long-term hold in a growth asset, that's, that's going to be in your taxable accounts. Okay, so asset allocation, critically important in retirement, different than when you're younger. Um, You've got to know your tax brackets. You do. And it's really important to know your marginal bracket. That's what, what's the next dollar that I receive? What's it going to be taxed at? So when you retire, things are changing. You no longer have a paycheck. So the first thing you do is you look at your overall situation. You say, before I draw from anything, what are, what's my automatic tax bracket going to be? I'm going to have my Social Security income. I'm going to have dividends and interest from my stock and bond portfolio and my taxable accounts. And the first place you look to draw is actually your IRA. A lot of people hold off for as long as they can. But a married couple filing jointly can have about 70000 of income from IRAs and Social Security and pension, plus an amount of income equal to their itemized deductions, and still be at a 15% bracket, which, you know, right now, at this point in time when we're talking, is the same as the capital gains rate. Right. It could be lower going forward, depending on what happens to our tax code. So It's it kind of complicated in retirement. You know, it, it is, it's complicated on the initial setup, but once you get a detailed income plan going then it kind of gets automated. It kind of makes sense. Yeah. Good stuff to know. You can learn more about this kind of topic and more coming to a Wealth Preservation Retirement Seminar. Uh, it's something Chad and I do together. It's great to meet people, put faces and names together, and it all starts to kind of click for people. You can learn more about upcoming seminars at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. You can find more about Chad Burton. He's a certified financial planner with New Focus Financial at chadburton.com. That's B-U-R. 
R-T-O-N, or newfocusfinancial.com. Little mergers, you know, to take a look at, inversion plays to take a look at. Um, earning season to think about uh, what we expect to see. Anytime you're in earning season, it's really what happened in the future, not in the past, that you care about. So I like the conference call portion of the, the earnings report. I don't necessarily like the, we had a great quarter. High five, everybody. I'm looking for something a little bit different. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's robblack at robblack, rob at robblack.com. You know what I'm trying to say. So mergers are good. You tend to look for Monday mergers as companies get together over the weekend. They're good because it shows you that one company will value another company at X amount of dollars. So I can sit here and do this story for you and, like, this company's got a great pipeline. Or I can just tell you the sales price and let you know that you should now look at other companies with similar price to sales price to earnings in a similar sector. And you can sometimes find some value. Maybe, maybe not, but sometimes. Anyhow, don't be shy. Reach out to me. Go to my website, robblack.com. There's always a seminar coming up. Find out more at robblack.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Uh, money, investing, and more, like I said. So, I thought this was kind of interesting. A little bit. A little bit. Um, GoPro got kind of just a nasty article written in Barron's. I love, I love, love um, Barron's. It's one of those rags, as I like to refer to it. It's a weekend rag, and it's a great resource for getting yourself up to speed on, you know, some negativity on the market. There's a lot of positive, but there's a lot of negative, too. So Barron's published a cautious article on GoPro, and it caused the stock to go down. Now, if you're positive on GoPro, maybe it's your buying opportunity. If you're negative on GoPro, maybe you're like, let's short more. Consult a broker advisor for the afternoon. Stock on the show. But inside his piece, he talked a little bit about how GoPro could end badly. It was kind of exciting to see. In some ways, the excitement over GoPro's quaint return to smartphone days. GoPro kind of cool little gadget, right? Just like our smartphone was, and I'm so done with gadgets. I don't care anymore. Just give me some good instant messaging functionality, some software, ability to grab some email. I don't need the one bazillion pixel clock. Unless there is a sign that comes with it, that, or a t-shirt that says, I've got the bazillion 
Pixel shirt and you don't. So over the weekend, Barron's, you know, comes out with these and they affects the markets on Mondays. Barron's has gotten a little bit into publishing, you know, some email alerts Monday through Thursday, but not much. So quaint reminder of the smartphone days. It's hard to find standalone gadgets that haven't been subsumed by our phones. Like, do you remember when we had PDAs? Not public displays of affection, but personal digital assistants. Um, remember when we had, you know, map tracking devices? Yeah, and then they all got consumed by the smartphone. You know, will we put a $600 camera on our head while we're skateboarding? Probably not. But you get the idea. There's the flip camera, groundbreaking camera that Cisco bought for $590 million in 2009. It was a miniature marvel, bringing the world of high-definition home videos from a device that easily fit in the back pocket. But it was a feature, not a product. You know, Apple's iPhone took it. Cisco shut the business just two years after its purchase. GoPro shares went bonkers after its IPO. Um, you know, the short sellers are jumping in thinking, you know, down the road, this is going to be an easy one to short. Um, it's a great article for thinking. Again, you don't have to agree or disagree, but it's a great article for thinking. Binge TV viewers are a little bit more receptive to ads. I agree with that. Netflix and Amazon and Hulu, they're making it easier for consumers to indulge in hours-long sessions of their favorite TV shows with binge-watching. I got into it just, you know, four years ago, five years ago. I missed the first season of Breaking Bad, and, like, I watched it in two days, and I was caught up. So, watching ten episodes in two days, binging. So there's new ad platform that basically says 58% of binge viewers enjoy watching at least three episodes of a show in one sitting because they don't have to watch ads. The good news for marketers is the study also found that the same viewers are willing to tolerate ads under the right circumstances. More than a third of binge viewers said that they wouldn't mind seeing ads while binge viewing if it lowered their subscription rate. And over a third said it, you know, that ads provide a nice break during binge viewing to go get you know, chips to you know, leave the room. A lot of consumers understand that there's a value equation, so if they're getting to watch it on their own terms, they have to they'll sit through the ads. I'm excited about the future of uh, media. Binge viewing is not a fad. Binge viewing is an emerging trend, so that's worthy of noting. Citigroup paying $7 billion to settle mortgage securities probe. You know, whether it's J.P. Morgan, whether it's Bank of America, anytime you settle, you know the worst-case scenario is not going to happen, and Wall Street tends to like that. So it's the lesson learned there. Google Glass founder, creator, a um, guy named Babak Parviz. He founded and led the Google Glass program, has left the company to work for Amazon. He was part of this Google X team, which is you know somewhat secretive division that works on DARPA-like projects. So it's responsible for Google self-driving cars, Google Glass, and other projects like Project Loon, which is an effort to put Internet service out there, but via hot balloons or air balloons. Google Glass is Parvi's research. Uh, besides Google Glass, he's also been focused on intelligent contact lenses, which provide information via augmented reality. He's likely focusing on enhancing the company's efforts around optics, which, you know, for Amazon, could benefit products like the company's new Fire Phone. So, uh, again, talent. 
is part of a company. Losing talent hurts Google. There's no doubt about it. It's like these guys should be on baseball cards. And they kind of probably have baseball cards. Generic drug maker Mylan said that they're going to buy Abbott Labs and their branded generics division. This is a trend that continues to uh, go around consolidation. Consolidation is when you take 20 players in generics and make them five. It becomes a lot more profitable. My own shares were up 7% on that announcement. So it gives access to Abbott's key products, such as a gastroenterology drug called Secreon, pain drug Brufen, Influenza vaccine, Influvac. It's also structured to help, you know, Milan reduce its tax bill by moving its tax stress outside the United States, a practice known as tax inversion. We continue to hear about that. eBay and Sotheby's are teaming up in online auctions. It's uh, a no-brainer in my opinion. It should have happened already. When you think Sotheby's, you think high, high-end bidding. When you think eBay, you think mass bidding. The growth of the art market, new generation technologies, and, you know, shared strengths of the two companies make a pretty, you know, exciting online relationship. So they're going to start offering live auctions at Sotheby's New York headquarters, the revamped eBay marketplace, where Sotheby's will also be a main tenant. will include a new live auction feature in real-time bidding in an effort to target art collectors as well as first-time buyers. It's pretty exciting stuff, in my opinion. 800-416-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Um, this year has been interesting. Um it's been a lot of sequels in the movie theater. Eh, I can't really go there, huh? So, Transformers Age of Extinction, $209 million. That's strong, but it's in the United States, but that's less than the three previous Transformers movies. After the same number of days, 17 in the theater. Overseas, the robot action movie is a blockbuster. So far, it's grossed $543 million, particularly $262 million in China which is a record for that country. And again, that's why you care about China. You may go, I don't buy Chinese food. I don't go to China. Why do I care? You're ignorant if you're missing that it's a real economy. So, very important economy to Hollywood for sure. I was reading a Business Insider article, and one of the things that they said was, you know, don't be surprised if you start seeing these actors and actresses pop up in movies. So a company like Paramount will shoot one minute with some Chinese actors for the United States film version. But they'll get 10, 15 minutes in the Chinese version release. I know, right? So Home Depot is going to start selling 3D printers in their stores. And what's interesting about that is Nest is a very high-end tech product where it's a wireless thermostat and can kind of like start figuring out who's home, who's not home. You can kind of, you know, do some issues like that and change the way you consume power. But even more importantly, um, 3D printers, like, I don't know where you're going to mount it in your Ford truck, but the idea is if you're out on a job and you need, you know, a pipe screw or, um, you know, maybe as a forward-thinking, you know, contractor, you won't have to send someone back to the Home Depot to pick it up. And so it's a good way of getting contractors to come into your store and buy very expensive products that, you know, 3D printers need. But there's slowing growth in the U.S. housing market. And in the years to come, as baby boomers retire and the downsizing of housing, it's going to you know, make it more competitive. And 3D printing industry is still in its early stages, so contractors would be wise now to, to start figuring out how can this help me. 
So it's going to be quite common for people to have 3D printers in their homes. The consumer market for 3D printing is you know, going to reach $600 million in 2017, up from $70 million last year. And there's always things like, um, like I needed some crown molding. Could 3D printer do that? Hell yeah, it can. Um, so there's issues and angles like that. Pizza Hut's rolling out a pizza cookie. Really? An 8-inch cookie. I know, if you go to, like, uh, malls, you'll see these cookie stores that sell similar products. And people are just, like, just grazing on cookies. And, um, God, Cinnabon, Cinnabon, just anytime I see a Cinnabon, like, five people, five people can split that and still get just massively obese. And we'll see people just chopping on. So, America loves to get fat. Hey, the Trump Plaza. It's going to close in Atlantic City. I'm not a big fan of Trump. I think he's a businessman, not so smart. Um, Marketer? Huge. Huge. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. Event coming up. You can sign up for it at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. It's typically for retirees, but sometimes I throw some in for younger people. Sign up at robblack.com. To fix a toilet, but you're a terrible dentist. We are caught up in your love affair, and we'll never be royal. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. Thanks for listening to the show. I do appreciate it. I got an email from someone recently, Jean. And she's basically, unless it's Jean. I'm going to make a mistake. Um, looking for a financial planner. And I work with a lot of financial planners, as you know. And one of the things that you really want to do is, like, before you meet with a financial planner, is get to know what, what you're doing. I've had loved ones in the past who are working with stockbrokers who don't have their best interest in mind. I've had family members do the same thing. Um, I find that some of the financial firms out there are really low-quality, low-grade and it's a bit on the sad and tragic side. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, just because I have a good set of tools doesn't mean that I'm going to be a good mechanic. And there's people that you'll walk into their office and they're like, wow, they got marble floors. They must be good. Um, I worked with a guy who was, I didn't work with him, but I met with him. Who He was just a financial planner who, he was honestly... I'll use the word himbo, but that's not the word I'm looking for. He just wasn't there. So one of the things you want to do when you're thinking about working with financial people, and somewhere in your 20s, you start thinking, okay, i got to start saving for retirement. And what that looks like is going to differ for a lot of people. Maybe you start in your 20s. Maybe you don't. What are your top three financial goals? Paying for college, 
you know, buying a house, money for retirement. You tell me. What's your age? Because, you know, paying for college for a kid is going to cost, you know, anywhere from sixty to one hundred fifty thousand dollars on average. You know, it could be much higher, much lower, if you include some like community college. So, you know, what's your income? I see a lot of people on disability that suddenly they want a financial plan, and like you can't really make that little bit of income work. You know, disability is maybe like twenty twenty-five thousand a year after taxes, or after um, you know, extra care for healthcare and other issues. So. What's your goal? Do you have children? Do you want to leave an inheritance? Do you want to leave, you know, a house for your kids, cash for your kids? Do you have life insurance? Do you have long-term care insurance? Do you think you'll need long-term care insurance? It's kind of important to start thinking about this. Um, so really before you meet with someone, you really want to ask, write down a lot of questions and goals. Um, there's a good website, cfp.com, that will kind of has a nice overview of financial planning and questions you would want to ask someone. The only certification that I would ever work with and or ever tell you to work with is a CFP. I don't believe in any other designation. You'll hear like, oh, I'm a certified retirement specialist. You know what that means? I've got a gold toilet. So it basically means nothing. Uh, and you should know that. You should know that going in. There's a lot of made-up titles. So be cautious. Do a little bit of research. Do a lot of writing. Ask yourself some questions. Uh, Don't be in a rush. I think that's one of the mistakes that people make, um, tragically. Anything you want to talk about today, we can talk about. You can always drop me an email. I always have seminars coming up where we, you know, I'll bring a financial planner, and that's a great chance for you to like come pick their brain. This is a market that's been dealing with record highs, even though there's Israeli tensions, even though there's Russian tensions, even though there's oil issues out there. Um, so kind of get used to that, and I'm good with it. And hopefully you are as well. Sadly, a lot of people uh, get caught up, you know, fighting the system. I love merger and acquisitions, and we had a barrage of them recently. Earning season is basically, take the calendar, January, February, March. April is a big earning season, so a month after the three months. April, May, June, July is the big earning season. August, July, August, September, October is the big report. And obviously, October, November, December, January becomes the big earning season where you pay attention to everything. So keep an eye on the calendar. Things could change pretty rapidly. As far as the stock market goes and record highs, the thing that you want to pay attention to is our companies, big companies, are they upping their revenue numbers? Are they downing their revenue numbers? Um... You kind of want to get a feel for that. I like listening to conference calls. I don't expect you to. I do. And if there's a good one, I'm going to talk about it. But like I said before, uh, 
you have to have time and you have to have a lot of effort in order to pull something off like that. So Dow 17,000 was a big story. Dow 16,000, big story. Dow 15,000, big story. Dow 20,000 would be a big story. Um, the people who fight this market, I think, fight a downhill battle or an uphill battle. Ha, <laughs> downhill battle. We win. We're going downhill. In large part because capitalism trumps headline news. Corporations aren't stupid. Sometimes you're like the Dow gets stuck, and then you see a big merger, and you see the Dow plow right through. Um, I'm not saying that like, you could invest with, you know, without even thinking about it. I'm not saying that. Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. Rob at robblack.com. Big seminar coming up. You can find it at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.